Hello, so I am Oli Martin. I'm here to talk to you about foraging today. I'm currently the chef director of Restaurant 263 in Preston, um, Fell Bistro, which we just opened up in Longridge, and then Foray Catering as well, which has been another venture in the past year. So all three of them have been launched in the past year. New series, new name, new artwork, but I had to keep that cheesy music. Yes, a podcast with me, Paul Newbegin, has returned, but we have rebranded. We are now the Chef Social Podcast, and we are sponsored in partnership with Hospitality Rewards. Hospitality Rewards is the first and only employee benefit program for people that work in hospitality. The website and app gives members access to a range of features and benefits. And actually, we talk about it on each episode, but I think some of the benefits, I think maybe the benefit that um, particularly Kenny Atkinson, who uses it, um, he loved the most was the the 24-7 support for mental health, mental and physical health, and financial health as well. Obviously, especially in these times, how useful is that? But also, you know, you can save on things like gym membership, discounted shopping vouchers, there's a cashback card, cinema tickets for those rare days off, and trade discounts from the likes of Oliver Harvey, Shoes for Crews, and KitchenAids, and of course, the perks, and we talk about the perks in the episodes, but there are exclusive perks and industry discounts at venues across the UK, and the reason why we wanted to partner is really to start to give back, and give back as a thank you to all the guests, so we will be inviting everyone that's a guest to um, come on and join the app as well for free as a little thank you but uh, they won't know that ahead of the ahead of the call so it'd be a nice little surprise for them hopefully enjoy today's episode it always makes me giggle that it says green room it's like say it puts you somewhere fancy so you know what i was thinking um before obviously we got together is that i think so we've got kenny atkinson on this series as well brilliant and i think i think you and kenny are probably like the longest like i've wanted you on the the show for like the longest amount of time and so (laughs) i was so glad when we could finally make it happen and i guess like a lot has changed since me and you met up right yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads has changed. Loads has changed. First off, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to hearing Kenny's one. I think he's a, I think he's a top class bloke, and I, I love his cooking as well. So, yeah, he's a funny guy, and uh, I've got I've got a few stories to tell about him, but <laughs> <laughs> I won't do. <laughs> um, I'll let yeah, him but, do that. I'll let him do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, loads has changed. Loads has changed. I think the last time I saw you in person was it was pre-COVID, wasn't it? yeah it was like in one of those weird like we could do stuff we couldn't do stuff you know sometimes you could go here you could sometimes go there obviously like a a green room yeah it was like a green (laughs) room and yeah obviously it was over at um over at hipping hall and then it probably was about maybe you were there yeah for a little maybe a year after when i visited and then obviously you announced your next move so you know what was it for you like when did you know that like you'd kind of wanted to take that next step 
Um, it, it'd always been on the mind. It'd always been on the mind. And I think, you know, um, even my time at Hippen and Hall, uh, speaking with Andrew, the owner there, and, you know, we were, we were looking at sites together to, you know, to launch something. So it'd always been on my mind. And I'd, I'd always wanted to sort of, I guess, take that sort of step and, you know, be be sort of involved more in the business, run inside of things. Like I felt like I'd, not that I'd reached, I completed cooking or anything like that. It was, it was, you know, it, it was more than that in a way of it being like, I felt like I could define my style and defined who I was in the kitchen. And I guess dishes came a bit more naturally to me then. And it was more sort of the sourcing of the ingredients and the training of the team. And, um, you know, I think from there, I sort of felt that I was ready to, to sort of launch something. So, you know, there'd always been sort of talks in the pipeline and there'd always been things popping up that made me want to go, you know, I sort of viewed a few restaurants in the past and, you know, thankfully I nearly was, was really close to signing one pre-COVID, um, again, with, with Andrew, the owner of Hippin. So um, it, it was, um, you know, it's, all, it's always been there. And I think when COVID sort of hit, um, it made us all stop. It was... You know, I guess for a lot of chefs, as well, not just me, but a lot of chefs sort of changed changed the mentality a bit. I think um, spending so much time at home with my daughter um, just made me think there's so much more in, in, in the world than just being sort of locked in these four walls as much as I love it and as much as it's a massive passion. Like, you know, there must be a way I can I can still have this passion and, and have a bit of a family time. So, you know, I guess COVID really sort of got me thinking. And I guess if it didn't happen, like... I don't see a reason why I wouldn't still be there. It's, you know, still be driving and still doing the same thing. Um, you know, I, I love the place. I was, there. I was there for eight years. I've still yeah. got a massive part in my heart. And, you know, I went through so many different stages of my life at, at Hippin Hall as well. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it defined me. It defined me as a chef and, I guess, you know, defined me as an adult as well. Yeah. It's a sort of that. Well, it's, a, it's a really special it's a really special place and we we loved our visit and to be fair i remember saying to you at the time like a lot of people because obviously you did master chef pros right and a lot of people when they do that almost it feels like their resignation has been in before they even started like doing quite well or do you know what i mean like from the show whereas you like you doubled down you know you stayed there you know fair dues you know you i think you really then made that platform for yourself didn't you definitely definitely and i think you know, I, I felt like I was, whilst on the show, like I felt like I was also at, at Hippin sort of getting into this really good swing, like the dishes again were coming a lot more naturally and, you know, I had a lot more feeling to them, a lot more presence to them and, you know, they were doing my own and I didn't want to sort of stop all that and go start it up again somewhere else. I felt like I was on with, mm-hmm. with a really good thing and, um, and you know, it, did, it really did sort of, it did happen for me that year, really. Like, you know, we did win the four rosettes and... We were mm-hmm. the fourth best restaurant in England, and you know we we got a lot that year. And yeah, yeah. I was glad I stayed on because it, wasn't it me happened. that we kept amongst many others that kept badgering you to get that bloody website updated when we yeah. were celebrating? <laughs> so get that fourth one on there. Yeah, that that was a that was a brilliant achievement. How did how did that feel? Like I bet that was one of the one of the highlights still of your career. Definitely, yeah, yeah, hundred percent one of the highlights. I mean, you know, there's it's only such a small amount of restaurants sort of get to get to that state. And it was something that, you know, from our very first visit um, from the AA at Hippin Hall, just, you know, a few months in, they said, oh, there's a lot of signs of four rosettes here. So you, you can see the sort of journey that it, it took me. It, was, it wasn't a sort of overnight thing whatsoever. It was a lot of sort of learning. And I get, like I said, sort of defining my, my style of cooking to, 
bringing my sort of personality in there and you know all those dishes being my own to be obviously to achieve that and you know it, it does take it takes a lot we went from you know running an a la carte menu alongside a tasting menu to you know slowly dropping down and trying different things you know eventually just landing on just just doing the tasting menu as, as a lot of restaurants do now and um, well you know it it was a long long journey but it wasn't even something that crossed my mind in the beginning but you know, I really wanted the free rosettes. I thought that'd be a fantastic achievement as, you know, at a young age, I was only 25 when I took over. So, you know, I thought free rosettes is brilliant. But then as soon as AA had mentioned, oh, you know, there's a lot of signs of four rosettes, then that's it, you instantly... And then the things change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, you stop appreciating the free and you think, well, I'm after four now. And, and yeah, that's what you start gunning for. So, it was, um, you know, I didn't really take the time to appreciate winning free rosettes so, just brushed it straight onto the table and, you know, heads down and crack on. Really. Yeah. Well, and, and like you say, obviously like, you know, you built, you built that kind of platform and, and, and interest, like what, obviously you had the time to appreciate it as well. Right. So staying at Hipping Hall, what does doing so well on MasterChef Pros, what did, what did that do? Do you, did you just feel it straight away? Like a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent from, from the day, the sort of final, was well, well well finished up shooting and you you didn't really feel it that much whilst it was coming out you know dribs and drabs and then you know it might have fixed for sort of thousand followers by the end of the end of um the end of it until it was actually on to the final and the final was aired and you didn't really see a lot of it coming through into the restaurant either um but as soon as that final went out like it was just incredible like the the overnight response was was just insane like you know it was talking like £100,000 worth of bookings in, in 24 hours. And it was just, Crazy. yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it was just such a great response. And just the restaurant went from, we, we were always, you know, always did well, but um, it was you know, never amazing, if you know what I mean. We still, you still have the standard sort of Wednesday nights where you're heart mm. full. And, but we just, we just went from that to just being full all the time. Everything was you know, all cylinders go every lunch, every dinner was just absolutely full down. The second someone second someone dropped out, it was it was another place sort of filled. So, you know, it was it was an amazing feeling to have that. You know, when I first took over the, the restaurant, it was so quiet, so quiet. Well, you know, it wasn't so quiet, but it was it had those days those days where you do, you know, two people or the the odd nights you'd have to sort of shut because you wouldn't have anyone booked in. And, you know, it's a bit demoralizing when you're sort of putting a lot of work in at the beginning. But we just weren't on any sort of culinary math at the time. And, you know, we were sort of slowly working up to that and slowly working up to it. And, you know, to sort of finally succeed and be on a culinary map was just just amazing just to have mm. those bookings come through and just give, I guess, give you the freedom to be able to, you know, really just shine your personality. That's what people were going for and going to see. And mm, Definitely. See, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's part of the thing, isn't it? Because the ones that do really well like yourself out of it aren't necessarily just the ones that we liked the look of your dishes it's that we liked your story we liked maybe you know you say how you came across and it was funny because like I say ahead of meeting you for the first time at Hippin obviously hadn't met you right and but I felt like I knew you already and I remember saying <laughs> that to you it's like this is so weird like I, I you and that's why I think you did so well on the show is that you really let your personality loose which isn't always easy right it could be easy to freeze up in front of the cameras and you've got judges there like how how did you find that pit like actually being like judged like right to your face by like you know chefs of that caliber you know Marcus Waring is a hero of mine yeah it was it was intense like it really was the 
you know, you, you're never going to forget that first moment you see everyone walking on the on the skills test, and you know that genuinely is the first time people walk in, the the first time they meet the judges, and the first time they're on camera. And you know, for a lot of us, like myself included, like the first time you're ever on camera in a film studio, like it's it's just bonkers. And you know, at, at the time we we all, we all sort of drew straws in the morning and pulled the straws out and obviously Ollie got the short straw as as always <laughs> and then <laughs> and then yeah no, so then they're, they're like there you go sort of walk through that door um go over and put your apron on and I'm like am I on camera from walking through that door and they're like yeah and I was like right well okay then so you know you walk into it you have this sort of like you know prior to sort of walking in that door you have this five minute show around here's here's the kitchen this is how you switch the stove on so you switch the other on the stuff there and stuff Oh, at least you get showing that. Yeah, yeah. There's so much to take in. You're you're just sort of like looking around the whole studio, like, well, I'm actually here. Yeah, it feels weird. Anything they say, yeah, that's it. It Feels smaller. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's actually pretty big. Yeah, it feels bigger than it looks on TV. Yeah. (laughs) No, you sort of walk in there, and then you know you're putting your apron on, and and then yeah, you are straight away. There's obviously Monica, Marcus, and Greg all sort of staring at you, and then. You you just forget everything. Like there's all the, there's, there's those few sort of select people, you know, out of the you know I think it's forty eight that are on there at the beginning. There's, there's probably like I don't know five percent of those that will just keep cool as a cucumber and listen to what they say and just absolutely smash it out with no worries. But then there's the other ninety five percent like myself that just basically shit it. <laughs> but then if we if we fast forward if i remember rightly you get invited back then for the rematch didn't you as well with with past contestants yeah 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 that's right so yeah that was that was an interesting one because i nearly didn't do that as well i nearly uh, i nearly said no to that but obviously, just, yeah. just remind me what happened on that one so yeah i managed to, i managed to win it that time yeah <laughs> Bring the trophy back north. Yes. <laughs> I remember, I, and I remember that. Um, it was the second time they'd done it. Was it the first time they'd done it? I remember now. Yeah, I, I, think... I remember. I remember your dish really vividly, and and that was the one where I think you'd really brought forward. Obviously, today you're talking about foraging, like you'd really kind of brought that forward again, hadn't you? And you yeah. can see your passion there had had grown on, and what have you. Definitely, definitely, and it's you know the the more you sort of. I guess the more you forage, the more you discover, the more interested you get in it and the more ways you sort of figure out and define how to use things and, and bring sort of new flavours. It's, you know, that's that's sort of really where my passion and love for it comes. It's, I've always sort of had this, um, this sort of love for like unique flavours or, you know, wacky flavours, if you will, as well. So I've always liked those restaurants that are quite out there when it comes to the flavour combinations and, you know, stuff you don't normally come across. So, you know, that for me was, that's always been a thing. And, you know, right at the beginning of Hipping Hall, I was always trying to find the, you know, the weirdest and wonderful ingredients going, but I wasn't necessarily finding them in England at the time. And, um, you know, it really sort of, in the, in the early days, we used to go out and there was, you know, an elderflower tree in the garden and we'd go and we'd pick elderflower. Um, and then it was really from there that I was like, well, if we're picking elderflower here, so what, what else is growing? And, you know, I've got a bit of spare time and I've just started looking up and researching it and, you know, speaking to people. And then, you know, that's when you start coming across all the other things that are in the good, like stuff you walk past, you don't even realise it's edible all the time. And, you know, things like the the pine trees on the drive and, you know, there's the, we had sort of 
meadow sweet growing all along the sweet all along the stream there, woodruff and sweet sicily growing and all these sort of ingredients. And then that was when the sort of real passion kicks for me mm. because I was discovering these new flavours. They weren't new flavours, they were new flavours to me. And discovering these old flavours. Um, and sort of then it's a new ingredient for me. Then that's you know, and then I can bring something different and show people this sort of showcasing the dining room. So you know, that's that's where I really fell in love with it because it was sort of this love for unique ingredients and interesting and different ingredients that really got me sort of going on the foraging side and discovering things like you know, magnolia can taste like ginger and hogweed can taste like orange and you know, woodruff can taste like vanilla or tonka and. You know, so there's all this stuff that you can use these foreign ingredients and imported ingredients and replace it with this sort of English flavour. It's, you know, free as well, which is mm. the best thing. <laughs> how, how do you go about sort of educating yourself on it then? Is it reading? Is it because obviously the stakes, if you get it wrong, are, are quite high. You know, if you go and think you've got something, but you haven't. So how, how do you go about kind of educating yourself? It really, it really is just taking that time to sort of read and be 100 percent sure. I mean, you know, things like mushrooms, there's, there's like very few mushrooms that I'll personally pick. Um, you know, Matt, who was my sous chef at Hippin Hall and now business partner at Fell and Foray, um, you know, he's he just really sort of had time to get involved in the mushroom side of things. And it's just this sort of never ending hole of, of things. But, you know, when, when it comes to all the other ingredients, like, you know, there's, there's all, there's usually telltale signs when it comes to it. So, a lot of the time at the beginning, it's it's best starting off all the simple thing. I just start with wild garlic, get elderflower, get the elderberries, you know, get these things. And when you start getting that building up your confidence and, you know, knowing your surroundings, then that's when you can sort of start diving into it a little bit deeper. But, you know, things like the power of social media these days, the amount of, the amount of pictures I get sent, like, what's this or what's that or can I eat this? And, you know, there's people forever doing it, and you just think, well, just don't pick it. Like, first of all, you already picked it. So if you don't know, don't pick it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good place to start. Um, but, yeah, it really is. Like, there, there's so many books out there. There's so many great books out there nowadays, and so many sort of pocket-sized books you can have with you. But, you know, there's there's always a little telltale sign with, with everything. And if you're just not sure, just don't touch it. Like, always be 110% when it comes to it, because there's so many things that obviously look similar to, to other, other things but once you start to get to know the plants and the properties of the plants and where they grow as well as is such a big thing because you can't just sort of walk into the middle of the field and, and expect to pick things there because that's not the sort of environment it will grow in or if it does look similar when it's growing in the middle of the field is it what you're looking for probably not it's, so there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things you have to take into play when, when it comes to it when uh, you know, when obviously we talk about things like you know growing veg and stuff, we talk about seasonality. But obviously, you know, in this world, you could if you you know can't grow it here, you can have it imported. But the great thing about foraging is it is the ultimate seasonal thing, right? So that must be quite cool. It must really make your menus very seasonal. Is that something you've you know you've kept forward in the catering business and in the you know in the two restaurants that you have as well? Definitely, definitely. Like I said, you know, foraging it's. <clears throat> played such a massive part in my life and you know really gave me that sort of key defining style for myself at the beginning and you know although like we still do have elements of it through into the catering company and there's only you know there's, there's only so much you can put on a menu and expect to be able to get that year round so you know we'll we still do a lot of things we'll still pick a lot of stuff we'll dry a lot of stuff we'll pickle a lot of stuff and ferment a lot of stuff and 
for that. And you know, those are the things that we know we can we can do in sort of larger batches that'll last us the year. So it doesn't really matter when you know what time of year it goes on the menu, as long as it sort of works with the menu, if you will. But you know, again in two six three, yeah, we we do with carries on with that sort of same ethos as we were doing the hipping and you know we're sort of getting these ingredients when you know at the absolute height of their season if, if you're picking it directly fresh out of the ground like it doesn't get any better than that and you know there's, there's the old saying that everyone's heard it a hundred times before the whole you know what grows together goes together and it, it works so well with the seasons as well so you know there's there's things that are in season like rhubarb sweet sicily you know growing exactly the same time of year and it, it just sings through with so many things like that and these sort of flavour combinations. They, again, they just get easier because you, they're there. Both these two things are right in front of you and, you know, you can physically try them together at that one moment and think, does it work? And am I going to get it to work or am I not going to get it to work? It's, you know, so it's, it, there's so many things that happen like that and so many times you're just trying things in the garden and, and just figuring out that, yeah, no, this goes together and that doesn't go together and, how are we going to implement that into a dish or how are we going to, you know, manipulate it to be, be right and something we can use year round or preserve for year round, um, which again, obviously just brings whole different lights to the menu throughout the year. Yeah, well, I was going to say, does it, you know, when you're using these forage ingredients, does it impact the way that you kind of plan your dishes or think about creating dishes? Like you say, if they're unique flavours, like does, has it altered your thinking process as a chef? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, um, you know, just having these things to hand, like, you know, if you've got a jar of whatever, pickled elderberries or, um, you know, whatever it might be, some fermented wild garlic stems or whatever it is that you, you've sort of got your hand on, when you've got that to sort of hand and, you know, you're trying a dish and you think, oh, it could, you know, it could do with a bit more acidity or piquancy or, you know, it could do with a bit more seasoning. Like, how can we bring that in? So, you know, you've already got these sort of flavours that, they work in your profile of cooking already like that's your that's your sort of style it's um already sits true with what you're doing so yeah, you've already got those flavors there and you're already sort of surrounded by them so again like to sort of manipulate them and add them into dishes is you know that that's where the sort of real fun begins where you can sort of think you know how are we going to get the sort of meadow sweet flavor in there or how's that going to work or um you know that that's that's the sort of side of it that gets really interesting and in, in how you choose to sort of preserve and use that for the rest of the year mm. is it is it easier to be into foraging you know where you're based you know people that are listening to this might be based in city centers right in london you know in wherever you know is it is it easier to be where you are or would we, would one be surprised like actually if you just get out a little bit you can find this stuff obviously yeah 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 obviously like there's there's stuff everywhere like it doesn't matter where you are and um, you know it just i can sort of sitting here in my garden i think i can see oxalis just randomly growing in the sort of cracks in the patios and you know th there's stuff everywhere there's it's just being being wary isn't it like you know don't go eating stuff covered in dog piss in the local park <laughs> it is that sort of vibe isn't it and you know, like it works so well at Hippin. I'd, I'd drive in from Lytham every day, so I was right on the coast. Um, and first thing on a first thing on a Wednesday morning, my like, rain will shine. I'd be down there picking, you know, sea purslane, aster, beet, and uh, you know, sea arrowgrass and sea radish, and picking all sorts of different things. And you're know, bringing that up on first thing on a Wednesday morning. And, you know, the same. Some of the boys were coming in from different areas, and it'd be the same for them. They'd be the stop off or go to the Sweet Sicily patch. They'll go. 
you know, to whichever it is, just on the way to work. So, you know, you're sort of driving by. You have to know your areas then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. And, you know, once you spend somewhere like eight eight years in an area, you you get to know it well. And, you know, it it really is a shame to have lost all those spots now. Now I'm an hour away from it. But um, it it does, obviously, that that sort of really helps you. I mean, personally, I I always find it a little bit funny when it is like, you know, a a city centre restaurant that's sort of really type of foraging because it's like you're not surrounded by this this isn't yeah yeah exactly you know, sometimes it's not your uh, i don't that can be the chef's personality but then when you put that in a sort of city center environment does it work or does it you know whatever it might it might work but i guess that's just my thoughts and opinions on it but you know when when we're out at hippin hall you, you sort of really are you're out in the sticks and um and you know you are surrounded by this stuff and like i said we you know, walk down the driveway to work and there'd be like sort of three things along the driveway that you, that we could pick and, um, you know, the, the same again, sort of driving in from the coast is all the coast to pick and the, chef, the chef's coming in from Ingleton or Kirby Lonsdale and there's all these spots to sort of stop off and, and you know, when when you do sort of take over a kitchen, you are running the kitchen and you're, head, you're a head chef, like, obviously you really want to, you have define your style, but at the same time it's a business, like, we need to make money, so, to have all this stuff to hand all the time like it's just brilliant because it's you know to to go and buy a whatever put it a sweet sicily it's probably two or three quid and it's rubbish it'll last it'll last a day or two well you know you nature is free it. yeah that's it yeah it's it's there it's on it's on our doorstep we're picking it yeah. for free and it makes a difference on the menu definitely every june my wife and i pay to to go into fountains abbey and we just bring great big bags and we just steal all of the wild garlic that we can get. It's just somewhere, we, like you say, We I know that it grows there. I know it grows there in spades. So we just head there. Like you say, it's just, you know, we walk home and they're probably pretty happy. We, you know, they're not going to use it all. No, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we used to have this sort of spot at um, the, the owner's parents' house. They, they had so much of it. He'd love it because he hated the stuff. So it'd be just be like, rip it up, rip it up. We're <laughs> <laughs> just taking it in troves. Like it was, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we, you know, we process probably close to about 100, 150 kilo of it a year. It's, it's absolutely bonkers. It, oh, it's quality you know, right stuff. Like... The, yeah, oh, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. But, you know, it's stuff like, again, things like that, like this, the simple things like wild garlic, we take it at you know, every single stage of its life from, you know, the bulb, we dig the bulbs up in January just as they start to sprout and then we'd use the shoot that was trying to get to the trying to get to the surface, which is sort of so sweet and full of nutrient and um, you know, we'd sort of pickle them down and barbecue them off and, you know, right through obviously to the leaves, we'd obviously be drying those out and be using them fresh to the, the stems which would get sort of fermented. We'd lacto ferment all the stems down and then obviously the flowers would use fresh. The flowers then go to the um to the sort of capers which again we'd use you know free flowers we've got the buds we'd, we'd take and you know see so we just constantly every single part of the planet every single stage it's for us it was you know wild garlics here well we knew that was going to be six months worth of wild garlic processing like every single week we'd be picking it at a different sort of stage to process it and preserve it for the year so while yeah while we're doing this then like i say i'm asking everybody so if you've got like a couple of dishes that you can talk about where you foraged an ingredient and it went into the dish and how it how it played a part of the dish have you got one or two that you can talk about because you're already you know making me like eyes wide with just the wild <laughs> garlic so it'd be cool to hear a couple of dishes that you've done yeah yeah so i think um i think the first one was probably 
you know, one of the, the happiest accidents of my creations that I did was um was I sort of spoke about this, the trees on the, the pine trees earlier on the driveway and um we used to pick the sort of buds which you know quite you know become quite fashionable now I guess and where it was Norwegian spruce so right at the sort of earliest stages in April you see this new growth come through and the sort of really tender young stems of the of the spruce right at the tip of the branch. And then, um, you know, they've got this beautiful citrusy burst and, you know, very sort of aromatic almost. Um, so we used, to, we used to pick those down and we'd pickle them. Um, and then this sort of one time, one of the, we used to also get this honey as well from from just down the road. So one of the waiters, is, um, his dad used to have a little, you know, a little beehive and make all his own honey. And um, so we used to buy the honey off him for, you know, we used to use it whatever. And then, um, yeah, we we pickled all these these sort of spruce tips once, and I'd sort of had you know had a batch of them left over, um, and I'd just run out of pickling liquor, so I was being being a little bit lazy and also a little bit adventurous. Instead of making a new pickling liquor, um, <laughs> I'd sort of just backpacked in with a bag of this honey, but you know the honey was a raw honey, um, and we put it in the you know I put it in, let it infuse. I was like, oh, I'd you know, be interested and see what we could use that with. Um, so, you know, we put it away where we, we used to store all, all the things that were fermenting or, you know, just preserving um, and just sort of totally got forgotten about, um, you know, it fallen behind some crates in the dry stores um, <laughs> and just, just totally, totally forgotten about. And, you know, <laughs> a few few months later, we do it. You know, it wasn't, yeah, we used to clean the dry stores you know, quite often, but it just never got sort of picked up. It was sort of hidden away. And. You know, as a few months had sort of passed, this this bag had sort of started expanding as you know as things do and for men, um, and it sort of expanded. And then one of the lads had sort of found it, going, like, "Oh, what's this?" And it was the, the honey because the honey was raw and had been processed. Like you could could ferment the honey, um, and it still had obviously had the, the pine tips in it. So we all everyone sort of looked at it like in a way of, "Are we, we going to try this?" What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go, what first? do we do with this? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that, that was it. So we sort of opened this bag up and the smell was just absolutely phenomenal. Like it was uh, everyone just sort of our eyes from this sort of uh, a bit dubious about this sort of large bag about to explode. So everyone being like, now I want to go first. And so, you know, everyone sort of tried this one here and um, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Like, you know, the flavour profiles that come through and it was just, just incredible. And the honey itself beforehand, like, I said the sort of bees were just a mile down the road so they would be feeding on stuff that was all all around the area anyway all the plants that would grow at hipping you know they, they, they were just exactly the same just a mile down the road anyway so even things like the meadow street you could really taste that come through in the honey and um, so you know once we had the spruce tips in there so once it was sort of fermented so we started messing around with that and um, i mean that was where the sort of idea of this sort of pine and pine and apple dish came from so I always always been a sucker for a play on words, <laughs> and then so yeah, that was it. The sort of pine, pineapple was just basically produced just because um, because I like the, the play on words really, and um, and you know the sort of flavour profiles of the honey it was so sort of rich and and, and unctuous, and it still had these sort of loads of citrus notes coming through from the pine, so it worked really well with them in the parfait, you know, nice sort of creamy sort of pat almond as, as the base, and obviously the cream going into it. Um, and then obviously we needed something to cut through, so that's where where the apple came in. So we used to make a syrup from from the same sort of spruce and, and sort of compress the apples in that. And you know, always wanting to sort of think about what's what's wasteful. As that was when the invention of the, the apple crackling came from. And and then yeah, the the honey 
again, just talk, just talk me through apple crackling, please, just for the benefit of the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, apple apple crackling. So yeah, yeah, the idea was we just obviously peel, peel, everyone peels apples, don't they, all the time. So it was just something we were throwing in the bin all the time, and it was just you know one day we a chef, pretty much all chefs do it, and I don't know what the obsession is, but. When we peel an apple, we've got this sort of competition in our minds. <laughs> can I keep the whole skin on whilst I'm peeling it? <laughs> so, you know, I think I'd imagine most chefs do it anyway. I mean, I definitely do. But I might just be a little weird. You've just revealed something weird about yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, sort of peeling this apple one day, you know, just as I've sort of gone to throw the, the skin away in the compost, like it sort of drops on the side and... You know, the way, the way it sort of fell, I was like, it's like, it looks really nice. I, I wonder if there's something we could do with it. So, yeah, that's when we did start sort of messing around with it. And obviously the, the name Crackling comes from, from like pork skin. Perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, obviously, yeah, we sort of developed this sort of apple crackling. And, you know, the flavours that came from it were just, just brilliant. Like, it was just like eating bonfire apple. I, did, I don't, know if, don't know if you ate that one when you ate. I don't think it is. Is it on the menu or...? I I know that you were doing it at that sort of time, but I think I, I remember I had like it was apricot with herbs, I'm sure, because I remember being absolutely blown away by that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I remember the one you're talking about. Yeah, with to... uh, with meringue. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. We used to yeah, sort of load of the herbs from the garden and, mm. and utilize them in different ways. Yeah, it was a nice one. That was super fresh. That was really it? nice. Really nice. um, and I and I think as well there was a scallop dish which you did with some pine as well if I remember rightly and that was a real banger. Yeah, yeah, was that the sort of almost um, the sort of cured one was it with a smoked seal maybe smoked seal and pine? Yes, was, yes, yeah, it was sort of like a little tartar, yeah, with the had like the sort of scallop row caramel with it and oh. I think that was yeah that was that was really good like that one forgot about that bitch thanks for reminding me see <laughs> this is what I'm here for go on can you do one more one more foraging dish and then we can yeah about, yeah, yeah. want to talk yeah. about the restaurants as well but give me one more please yeah so um, I think probably the you know you know obviously that pineapple went on to MasterChef and Again, probably another dish that was sort of featured on there as well was in, in the the innovation challenges, the sort of mushrooms on toast. Um, so again, just it was just a sort of way we had, obviously we bake bread fresh daily and there's only so much bread you can feed the staff when it's left over with. And so, yeah, we were sort of looking at different ways of, of utilising the leftover bread. And yeah, that, that was when it was, it was sort of towards the mushroom season. Um, so, you know, we used to, next to the field next door to us, Shouldn't be saying this because all the new chefs will know from Hippin Hall now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the field next door to us was just abundant with Hen of the Woods. Like, we were so lucky. It was absolutely, every year we just clean up, like, so much of it. And then, so, you know, we were picking loads of those at the time. So, you know, the idea of, like, mushrooms on toast came about and obviously, yeah, to sort of try and elevate it. Um, and, again, another one of my friends at the time, he was, although we won't share his location, he sort of, Picks, um, <laughs> pick, picks truffles and he, he's got a spot for truffles up in the Lake District so it all sort no of way. happened in, in you know it all sort of came together like we're trying to figure out something to do with the leftover breads you know Matt was out getting all the hen of the woods and they was bringing these truffles in and one of my favorite cheeses St James which comes from over in Cartmel yeah that the yeah. sort of time of year it's yes. just like so ripe and so stinky so you know the whole sort of <laughs> mushrooms on toast sort of thing came together so um 
and then again it was sort of you know we had the sort of the bread we turned into like a little sort of truffle eggy bread we just have the sort of hen of the woods on there which you know we cook in sort of various different ways but quite often we've got smoked butter and barbecue then um yeah we sort of had the pickled wild garlic on there as it needed the dish needed something to cook through all the sort of fattiness and St. James would turn into this real stinky custard, which was just absolutely delicious. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, sort of finished with the wild garlic powder, just again, adding that sort of real nice sort of garlicky garlic mushrooms, sort of mm-hmm. the, the whole thing. So, you know, it, it's this, it, it sounds sort of, you know, simple and complex at the same time, but it, in, in the element, it's basically just, you know, mushrooms on toast, cheese and garlic. Like, it's, that's all it is really, but it's all, you know, I guess just sort of elevating it and, and that's what I love to do. I like I love to find those sort of dishes which people can you know relate to. And yeah, everyone's had it. Everyone's had mushrooms. Unless you hate mushrooms, everyone's had mushrooms on toast. And you know, get this sort of beautiful elevated version of it. It's like it's you know that, I get a lot of kicks out of that. So obviously, like we say, with the foraging ingredients we've covered, you know, you need to be certain that you've got what you've got. But in terms of then your learning, and if you're, if I, if I'm a chef listening to this now, and I'm certain that I've got the right produce, what would be your top tips into if you are a chef now wanting to use foraging ingredients more, wanting to push yourself? Like, how did you? How would you go about? You know, trying those ingredients first and knowing how to apply them to dishes, like no, learning what you've learned. What would be your kind of top tips? I guess, like, like I said, like honestly, reading up, there's just there's so much to go off. Like there's there's just but just buying those sort of books, and you know, not buying, not even buying the chef ones, just buying the the actual handbooks for the sort of wild edibles is is such a great way to do it. And and you know, quite often they even have little suggestions in there of what what things is to be used with or the sort of flavour profiles of it. But you know, everyone's palate's different, everyone's mind's different. So you know, how people want to use that is totally, totally up to them and how, how they sort of see fit. But you know, like I said before, like if if you're getting started, like wild garlic's the one that'll really kick you off because it's it's lazy foraging to begin with, which is always yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> you know, yeah. you you could just go and pick absolutely mountains well, look, of could, it. In could such I add elderflower to that as well? Could I add elderflower yeah. to that? Because that is literally everywhere as well. That is, yeah, 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 hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, those two things, hundred percent. Like it's, like I said, it's it's a good. It's a, it's like what we call lazy foraging. So stuff like you, you don't have to bend down too much for. You know, yeah, that can yeah, be yeah. that can be a bit of a pain, but. Um, no, it's it, it's stuff you can just pick in abundance, and you'll find it so easily. Uh, it's really easy to identify. J- just the smell of it's like the instant giveaway. Mm-hmm. There, there's many, there's minimal things you can sort of get it complicated with it at the time of year when you're picking it. Um, you know, not to say that there isn't things, but um, you know, it, it's a great one to sort of start off on. And it's again that thing at the start of the year as well. It's, it, it's that thing that we used to we used to pick it like January 18th was the earliest that I picked wild garlic leaves. And it really does sort of come through that early on if you're in the right locations and they're the right spot. So it gives it gives people such a big window to sort of you know start I guess start picking things and and then once you get into that that's when your sort of confidence is going to start to sort of build a little bit more when you can sort of take that back to the kitchen have a play around with it experiment with it obviously there's there's loads of books out there as well to sort of to sort of get your teeth into to see what to do with those wild ingredients um, but you know like I said it comes down to chefs it comes down to you know places that they're working at the time as well like you know you're not going to go picking you know 
100 kilos of wild garlic capers if you're working if you're working in you know, a 300 cup of pub or something because it, it's probably not worth your time that you're going to go through it in such a vast you know so quickly it's you know about taking some wild garlic leaves would be probably great in that situation where you put it into something like a you know a soup of velouté or a sauce or something like that and and um, so, you know so it's, it's obviously it's about your environment that you're cooking in as well as as well as if you're, if you're a home cook like are you are you really going to use like fermented wild garlic stems at, at home? Probably not. <laughs> Don't bother doing it. Is it? <laughs> is probably the key. But and there's so much out there. There really is. And in, in, in social media nowadays, it, it's a great one. Like just get on there. You'll find profiles so easily. And you know, following good foragers will also tell you what's available. It won't tell you exactly. Although a lot of them do tell you the sort of ways to look out for the plant and how to identify a plant, where it, what sort of environments it grows in. Um, you know, it obviously won't give you, you can't be 100% sure with it, but it, it's a great tool like social media now for, for people getting into it because you just follow those that, you know, they're picking the stuff that's in the season at the time, it might not be in your area, but, you know, there might be an area that's similar to where they are close by to you. So social media is such a good one and, and the community is just, just fantastic with it as well. It's um, if you, if you are unsure, like people do, just just send it over to you know a local forager or try and find a forager that is local to your area. Because that's ten times better. Because chances are you will be able to find what they're finding. Mm. Um, but yeah, just I guess reach out to people, speak to people if, if you're unsure. You know, drop a message, post it on post it on your Instagram story, and just say, is this whatever is it this might what be? It is, and yeah. yeah, you know, chances are someone will know. So. Um, or we'll tell you a good way to identify a plant and you know there, there's a lot of apps nowadays but I'm not I'm not 100% sold on the apps myself like we have sort of tried to identify a few things with them and it, I've never been 100% sold on on the apps so you know hit the textbooks that's the that's where the knowledge is at basically um, and yeah like I said start with wild garlic if you enjoy it then you'll probably want to go on and, and keep exploring and seeing what else you can get your hands on Thank you oh, yeah. so much for talking Always to us. Always be hundred percent. Yeah, no. What? Yeah, like, so. thank, seriously, thank you. Like, it's been one of the topics I've been looking forward to talking about, and the dishes I think were incredible. So, you know, as well as well as everybody having their topic that's been in, invited on this this uh, series, the other kind of string that I'm talking to everybody about, just because it's kind of unavoidable, right? But it's also a part of the reason why this series has come about. Um, is about like the industry, right? And obviously, you now have three businesses, as you've said, and uh, staffing, right? How yeah. how are you? How are you finding what, that? What are they? <laughs> yeah, right. So how how are you finding? Is that proving difficult for you as well? Then, so obviously, a lot of the guests have spoken about that. What's your experience of that? Yeah, it's, it has been. I mean, you know, originally when when I left Hippin, um I said that you know I, I'm taking some time out of restaurants. I don't I don't want to open a restaurant, and and um, you know I was. I know you've got two. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but yeah, you know, I said I just I don't I don't want to do it. Like I want to take some more time, and and you know that was that was why I sort of launched the catering company was because I felt that I could almost give myself a bit more of that nine to five lifestyle. I know. Not quite nine to five, and it definitely isn't when when you're sort of self-employed. It's never nine to five. It's it's twenty four seven. But it's you know that that was my sort of plan. I did I didn't want to have that sort of uh, the stress of the service at the beginning and and all that sort of thoughts. But um, 
and you know, then then I obviously got I got approached about about two six three in Preston, uh, which you know I said no to multiple times. Um, I think it was he just got lucky on the last time. I probably had one beer too many. Put you in the good mood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I'd, obviously I'd, I'd said I said no. I said it wasn't it wasn't where I wanted to be and what I wanted to be doing. And um, you know, I wanted to concentrate. I'd launched Foray, and that was my sort of focus. And um, and if, you know, he just said, "Come on, let's let's go see the site." And he showed me the site, and I thought, "Yeah, do you know what? I really do like it." And at the time, I was sort of speaking with Ricky, uh, who's the head chef there now, who sort of said, "You know, if something does come up like um, with your next move, do do let me know." So. So I got chat chatting to Ricky, and, and you know, I knew I knew he's, I knew he was a great chef previously. Um, you know, I knew he was going to be someone I could trust. He's got a great CV on him. But you'd worked together before, or we hadn't. No, no, it was you know we'd not even met before. Like it was just literally chatting over social media. That that was it. Um, he, had, he you know he worked with one of my um, one of my pastry chefs at Hippin Hall. Uh, Martian, so he'd worked with him for for a good chunk of time, and you know Martian had sort of recommended him as well. So yeah, after, you know after a good sort of chat with him, and I thought you know they could he could well you know well be the person for the job here. Mm. So, um, but you know the idea with Two Six Three was to keep it super small. It was to keep it super intimate. We've got eight tables. It's it's open you know four days a week, and you know of that we we only do. Um, you know, we do seven services, we don't do eight services out of that. So, we, you know, we shut for Wednesday lunch. So, it's tiny, you know, there's two chefs in the kitchen and, you know, I just float around and annoy them quite a lot of the time and, <laughs> you know, work on developing the dishes with them and, and, and sort of running through, you know, the day-to-day running of the place. But, you know, Ricky's in there, he's, he's you know, he's a phenomenal chef, he really is. And, you know, he's, he's sort of understood the concept from, from the get-go and, you know, took the ideas and run with it. So it's really nice to sort of have someone to bounce off of and, um, you know, work, work with ideas on as well. Uh, you know, he's got, got a lot of his own sort of dishes on the menu there as, as well now. So, yeah, it's really nice that we can sort of, he can come to me with ideas and we can sort of finalise things in it, in it, and there it is. So it's, it's it's great to have that. So, you know, we've got, got really lucky with the team at 263. It was, you know, it was a tough beginning. Um, it was a really hard beginning, but there's a great team in there now. Um, so, and like I said, it's so small that, it, you know, it doesn't need, I don't need 50 chefs and waiters and waitresses and general managers and sommeliers and all that. I don't need all that in there. That's not the, it's not the goal with it. The goal is to have this sort of casual, relaxed, fine dining, you know, very similar to what I was doing at Hippin, but, you know, even more relaxed, like we're in, you know, we're in Preston City Centre and, you know, we do just want it to be sort of, you know, come in and, and just feel like you can sort of kick your shoes off, coming in your T-shirt, you know, and just sit back, enjoy some great food. And, you know, we've got loads of great beers on there as well. So, we, you know, working, we're doing sort of beer pairings with a lot of the sort of local local ale producers and whatnot. So it's just, you know, it's, it's such good fun. It's, it's a really nice sort of fun environment to be in. And, you know, we got lucky with the, with the team there. Um, you know, at, at Foray, again, we're sort of we're sort of blessed in terms of, uh, you know, myself and Matt are, are there all the time when it comes to sort of prepping a wedding. Like, you know, it will be me and Matt will do, do everything from, you know, the, the mayonnaise on, on a canapé to, you know, right up to, you know, a tweel on a dessert or whatever it might be. Like, it's, you know, me, me and Matt will produce the whole thing from scratch and we've worked together now for you know, six, six years. So we know each other like the back of our hands and how we work together. We don't 
we don't talk about who's doing what, a list goes up on the wall and it's, you know, we just crack on, we know exactly what we're doing. I normally just leave Matt to do all the hard jobs and I'll just do all the little easy ones. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, so again, we got lucky there. We've got a great, great manager in. So the team at Foray is tiny as well. There's four of us in total, you know, myself, Matt, we've got our front of house manager um, and then our sort of events coordinator who, you know, looks after all the, the admin and emails basically. And, and then after that, everyone's sort of part-time and, and we've got, again, we've sort of got, we've got this sort of great network of local people to us that have been chefs and they might have left the industry and, um, yeah, we still love cooking and still have that passion, but life, you know, life changes people, doesn't mm. it? And life changes as you go on. So, have you found it really different in terms of like the cooking, doing the catering, so like the you know the more event side? Is it is it different? Like the service is different. Yeah, so yeah, services, yeah, hundred percent, massively different. And yeah, you, your cooking style it does have to change. Like it's um, you know, when it comes to sort of you're not you're not cooking for twenty people on a on a 12 course tasting menu anymore it's you know you're cooking for 120 people on a three course tasting menu and you know on someone's wedding day it's something you do not want to get wrong it's everything has mm. to be yeah of, pressure 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 yeah 100 percent. so it's you know a lot more of it's it's not the sort of cooking anymore um it's the sort of planning that comes in massively there and um, you know making sure everything is 100 cooked right cooked fresh on time um, you know the planning is is so big when it comes to it, and um, you know I guess something, something not to, not that it shocked us or anything like that, but I guess just the whole process of it was like a lot bigger than we were going to thought it was going to be um, at the beginning. You know, just getting all those timings and details right, and you know, the sort of going down viewing sites, building kitchens, and it, you're not just in the kitchen prepping anymore. Like it's it's everything. Like you know, mm. you're driving into into middle of Yorkshire going to someone's farm and there's a marquee yeah. in the middle of the field like how are you yeah, going well, you to don't get know water what you're walking into it? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's it how are you getting water how are you getting electricity as the hire company you know brought everything with them and, <laughs> you know that that then becomes all your stress instead of like does the food taste good like yeah the food tastes good we've got that bit boxed up it's everything else that becomes like the, the massive stress um but yeah like I said like Forest is so much fun at Forest like so much fun and it's like, it's so funny because I compare it to sort of restaurant lifestyle. Like when we do a wedding, like, you know, that's it. We'll do, you know, we, we might do two weddings on a, on a sort of Saturday, but that's all we'll do all week. So, you know, you've got the whole day leading, the whole week leading up to it, sort of planning, prepping, planning, prepping. And then that's your service when you turn up that day. Like that is, that's your sort of service, if you will. So, you know, it's it's, it's just, a, it's so much fun, but it's a totally different mentality and a totally different way of cooking. And, and then obviously fell, yeah. So fell, I guess, has been a bit more of a challenge when it comes to the staff. Like that's been, it's it's a funny one because the sort of food that we do there, like we want it to be, it's super stripped back. Like it's all just, you know, we've got some great local meats or we've got some great local fishes and you know, brilliant vegetables and things like that. And we, you know, we cook it super simple. With we've got this like insane wood fired oven which was in in the building to when we took it over and. Yeah, that's a massive part of what we do now. Like we just that's a massive part of why you wanted to go in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huge, Get your hands huge on that part. Oven. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a huge part. But you know, it's something that we didn't really think about when when we yeah. took this out. We were like, how are we going to use it? What are we going to do with it? And well, we've got a guest. I'm not going to say just yet. 
this series talking about cooking over fire. So, you know, if you want oh, to tune brilliant. into that episode as I'm well. I'm sure I will be. I'm sure I'll be tuning <laughs> into them all. <laughs> yeah, so the, the reason why we we talk about this, so the camp, the campaign of these uh, seven episodes, we've, we've been brought back. And the I, I've always had this idea of trying to sort of, you, all the guests I've had have always been so gracious with their time and trying to sort of give back. And I've partnered this series with uh, Hospitality Rewards. Um, and so everybody knows that, you know, in the industry, we all kind of look after each other, right? So if we go places, we'll knock a bit off the bill or we'll give you a free glass of bubbly or what have you. And yeah. they are formalizing that through their app. So people that work in hospitality can go on the app and find not just hospitality businesses, but other retailers that want to give a little bit back to the incredible people work in hospitality so that's what we've done this series and as a little surprise and a little thank you for being on you will get use of the app to get some hospitality perks in oh, your nice. spare brilliant. time so you will get yeah you will get an invite to that um and to those that are listening if you want to get an invite uh, if you want to get use of the app as well you if you can offer a perk at your business you get use for free for a year so anybody listening that wants to offer a perk you will also get access, but Ollie will get access as a big thank you for taking part. So thank you. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm going to um, Sat Baines next week. Does it work there? Do we have to I'll have to, yeah, have to, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? We'll have to find out if he's listening. He can, I'm sure he can get on the app as well. Um, no, well, you know what? We're focused. We've got a lot of big cities now coming onto the app. So, uh, you know, definitely amazing. keep an eye on it and we'll get you on there and uh, using it so hopefully there'll be some good stuff for you oh, um, no, that's, that really is phenomenal like like you said it, it does happen all the time you know people go and eat in restaurants and whenever we get sort of young chefs in like it's, it's amazing that they've sort of chosen to spend their money to come come and eat somewhere and explore and obviously it shows that they're sort of passionate so it's lovely to sort of yeah be able to everyone always looks after other chefs and, and obviously yeah exactly as well and, so and it's, it's nice really to sort of formalize trying, exactly. it yeah, exactly. No, I'm glad you, it's like, I really, that's why, you know, part of the reason that brought me back is it was a really good, um, you know, initiative and something that I'm really, you know, like I say, we we all, especially in these times, like I say, we're all finding it hard um, to look after each other, you know, more than maybe ever before, you know? Yeah. Definitely, so, definitely. final thoughts with you, Mr. Man, like I say, if certain <laughs> things spring out, like, you know, obviously fell like as you said earlier kind of came out of nowhere but if you had a crystal ball if you looked into your future what do you what do you want it to hold where what would you like do you see yourself going back into fine dining dining at all or are you done with that you've done your four rosettes you've had that um, do you ever see that for you or i say yeah i mean to sort of walk back into i guess yeah walk back in and be fully dedicated in in the kitchen all the time for fine dining it's, I don't, you know, I don't know if I can, I can sort of commit that now, you know, with obviously everything else we've launched. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, I've still got that sort of massive influence and input over at, at 263. Um, you know, like I said, it's more, it's more becoming that sort of role where, we're like, you know, guiding, guiding Ricky and want him to sort of, you know, he, he's really stepped up and take, takes the reins and he's guiding the food there now. And, you know, just sort of overseeing that. And it's lovely to see him sort of develop into his own chef and create his own sort of, you know, personality. It's nice to see it sort of be part of that journey. Um, you know, I don't I don't think I'd walk, I don't think I could. I don't think I'd have the time to to commit to sort of going back into into a kitchen. He's doing too well for himself. He's too popular. <laughs> it's not I mean it's just it's not that I mean, it's, it's 
you know, every, everything is, you know, everything is going well sort of touchwood in, in terms of forays, just like we, we have found a sort of real niche there, sort of bringing like fine dining to, to weddings and, you know, it is, it is a niche. It's not like it's, um, it's not, there's not a huge demand for it, but when those people do, do come to you, obviously it's, it's fantastic. And, mm. um, you know, we, you know, we like today, we recently just got our, our final booking for July, 20, 2024. We're fully booked for July, 2024 now. So it's, it's just bonkers. Like it's been, yeah. you know, you're sort of working that far in advance. Like I, I don't know how I could do that at the same time as, as commit to yeah, commit yeah, to a yeah. restaurant. But, you know, like I said, I was sort of really getting this, I'm sort of really enjoying the, the whole business side of things now. And More bistros, perhaps? Definitely, definitely. Bistro, bistro closer to Leeds would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> A word of advice I got given was don't get anything too far from home because you never go to it. That was our Paul Heathcote. <laughs> he oh, yeah. said he opened in Leeds and never spent any time there. So it's, oh, well, I'll, it's, I'll have to come to you then, will I? Yeah, no, it's unfortunately, Paul, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> it's, no, you're it's, right. you're worth the trip, it's, mate. <laughs> you know, Lancashire's a great place. I know oh, you're not, I know it, you're not so keen. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, because I'm, I'm not a native Yorkshireman, I can, I can love both roses. So I'm, uh, I, uh, no, I love going over there. You know, as well as I do, is like the, I've always talked about the food over that way. I'm a big fan of Freemasons. You've got Nigel Howarth over there. Obviously, the Angel at Hetton's not far. When you were at Hipping, you know, obviously, Hipping yeah. right now is still going under Peter. Uh, you know, there's so much going over there. It, it's great. It's such a great, obviously, 263 and all this stuff. That's, Tim, Hall, Tim Allen's not for as well. More Hall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Tim Allen at Solo. Yeah, yeah that's good. There's, you know, Tom Parker over, over at the Yeah, Starbucks yeah, I've been to... Yeah, been to fans. My favourite restaurant. <laughs> yeah, love it there. Yeah, there's so much going off. So, uh, no, I, I'm more than happy to come over. I'm more than happy to come <laughs> over. Well, you know, like I say, this has been a long time in the making, but well, well, well worth the wait. I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for talking about foraging. Um, and I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you, mate. And, you know, all, all the... Much everything that you deserve should come to you mate because you're such a talented guy I still remember that meal at hipping hall like i say some of the dishes i had there as i told you at the time of on par with some of the best meals i've ever had you know at, at two, two three star level you know really genuinely um so yeah really really remember remember that well and uh you know obviously um you're booking as far advanced as july 24 so if people have got weddings <laughs> they know where to come right in 2024 exactly exactly yeah well not in july 24 because you won't well, get us <laughs> August, september 24, 25 yeah. 26 give ollie a call that's it that's He's the it. world's most forward planning man <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much buddy oh brilliant no it's been a pleasure it really has and so we have an end of another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you to our guest for joining us. And of course, thanks to our partners. Businesses such as Le Manoir, Farnsham Estates, Beaverbrooks, Rockcliffe Hall and Swinton Park are utilising hospitality reward to aid their recruitment and retention goals. You can request a demo today by going to www.hospitalityreward.co.uk. And if you would like to learn more about the sponsors, you can go to that same site and that will include the perks campaign. You can also email hello at hospitalityrewards.co.uk right now. And we'll see you for another episode of the show.